All right, take your Bibles and open up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. We're continuing in our series, Life in the Spirit. And as we continue that series today, I want to talk with you about the unseen reality that is very active and very influential. It is called spiritual warfare. There is a war raging right now as we sit here, and it has been raging since, uh, since creation uh, and before. Uh, in the heavenlies, it has not ceased uh, one bit, and it's very important that we understand it. How many of you believe that, we, that there's a spiritual war going on right now? All right, there is. And because of that, if you don't, don't understand it, and if you don't get the impact and the reality of spiritual warfare, you're going to struggle, struggle to live life in the Spirit. In fact, life in the Spirit is dramatically affected by the spiritual war that is going on. And uh, so that's why we need to address it. And, and in particular, that's why we need to understand it. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me as we read God's Word, beginning in chapter 6, verse 10 of Ephesians. <clears throat> Paul says, Be strong, finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all um, to stand firm, stand therefore. Having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Father, thank you for your word, the truth we need the, to understand what's going on around us so that our physical eyes don't cause us to miss the real issues, the real battle, the real war, and its impact on nations, on people, on cultures, on lives, on communities and cities and churches. Let us understand so that we might walk in the power of of the Holy Spirit, and be good soldiers of the kingdom of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Did you notice, by the way, verse 12, keep your Bibles open. Look at verse 12 there. He talks about something that, that uh, we don't uh, clarify enough, I think, and that is that uh, Satan is the prince and power of this world. He has been granted that authority. That will not last forever We've been talking about some of those things and will in our last day series on our, in my pastor's Bible study on Wednesday evenings. But his time is short. The Bible even says that in Revelation, and he knows that he has a short amount of time. I think it is true that closer to the end of the age, his attacks and assault on individuals and cultures and nations will increase. But in that particular verse, uh, what we see is a, kind of a, a breakdown of the, the power structure of hell. 
and how it operates in this world. There are principalities, there are domains, and uh, I, the best way we could say it is that uh, the, the devil has a hierarchy, and, and he allows his uh, work uh, and its control uh, to, uh, to make its way out into areas, sometimes in regions. I have uh, served in an area one time where uh, there are a number of us who had dealt with demonic stuff and had to deal with demonic uh, uh, cases, and this one area seemed like it was under the great influence and control of the devil. That's what we mean by principality uh, or a, uh, a domain. And the Bible says that so he, he, has, uh, he has control that has been granted to him by God in this world. One of the things our staff prays every Sunday morning before we come in here is, God, you bind up the evil one in the name of Jesus. And you cause him to flee from this place and all that are his, God, so that your work will not be hindered and your word will not be a distraction but will be received. We prayed that uh, today because this battle is that real. And, uh, and if you understand this, you will understand something. That is what's going on with the unseen eye is far more important than what's going on with the eyes that we see with. In fact, if you notice something Paul alludes to the spiritual war and then tells us to put armor on. Why? Because the spiritual war that's going on impacts your physical life. And so it's vital that we get it. And he's trying to help us understand that this war is going on right now. Right now. It has been going on. I believe it's getting more intense. I believe the age is moving toward the end. And I believe the battle and hell has unleashed itself uh, like never before. And we must not be spiritually naive. It is a war for the souls of men and women. It's a war that affects God's church. It is a war that is designed to undermine everything that is right and just and true and eternal and to destroy the souls of pe uh, both the people now and in eternity. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, the good news is, and the reason we have this text, is because Paul is giving us a strategy for victory. And that strategy involves life in the Spirit. I said a moment ago, I reiterate to you today that I, I don't know that I can remember a time in which it was more apparent in an age that we are under the assault of hell. I believe that. I believe that nationally and culturally. Uh, it's not a new revelation. But this battle's been going on uh, for eternity past. But, but it's, it is becoming clearer and clearer, in my view, that this assault is obvious to us. And what's going on, we need to be aware of. I, I believe, for example, uh, this coming Tuesday, I believe that's part of a spiritual war. I, I believe that is part of a spiritual battle that's going on for the soul of this nation and the, the culture and and um, I think that's why it's very important. Uh, you say, well, how could that be? Well, it goes back to verse 12. Our, our passage, and in that passage, Paul made clear that Satan is the prince and the power of this world. Now, let, let me reiterate that too, so you'll understand why this assault and why what's going on in your culture is, is a part of spiritual warfare. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? Do you remember Satan took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world? You remember what he said to him? I'll give these to you. 
that reminds us of what Paul said right here, that, that God has allowed him to have some, some authority in this world. Again, it's limited, it's restricted, it will come to an end. But right now, we are living, we are living in conflict with two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And so it's important that we understand and see our world and the things that are going on in our world as uh, uh, something bigger than just what our minds tell us and our eyes see, that there is a cosmic spiritual world uh, 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 war going on in the heavenlies. I think this coming election on Tuesday is epic. It's epic because of what hangs in the balance. And unlike so many elections in the past, this election is very clear at what's, uh, what's at stake. The lives of unborn babies, the potential to dismantle our legal system that was, by the way, founded upon the very tenets of Scripture itself, the restriction of constitutional liberties like free speech and the restriction of religious liberty. These things have all been clearly laid out that they are on the line. Now, I want to say something to you and and by the way, people say, oh boy, the pastor's fixing to start talking about politics. Now listen, listen very carefully. When I was in my 20s as a pastor, I worried about what everybody thought about me. Then when I got into my 30s and 40s, I realized that they weren't thinking about me. And now I'm in my 60s. And I don't care what they think about me. <laughs> what I do care about is speaking truth. And almost 20 years ago, you brought me here to, to speak truth to you. And I believe that one day I will stand before God Almighty for whether or not I was faithful to his word and to the truth that I delivered to you. <clears throat> I do not believe that either one of these candidates are the Savior. I want you to know that. Jesus Christ alone is the Savior. Jesus Christ alone is the hope of humanity. But I like what one pastor said, and I, I'm grateful. I've heard a number of messages from pastors out there that are actually for the first time in a long time speaking, pastors who have been silent. And part of it is because they have come to realize what is on the line, the very religious liberties and freedoms and the lives of the unborn. So many things have become uh, clarified in this cosmic war. But I like what one pastor said. He said, Jesus is my Savior, and because he is, he says, I cannot, I will not vote for a candidate whose platform advocates for the murder of unborn babies, embraces same-sex marriage, encourages transgender behavior, and ignores God and his word in our culture. And I would add, and has affirmatively said, they would like to undo religious freedom. Now, look, someone might say, well, pastor, you shouldn't talk about these things because there's a, there's a thing called the separation between, between, uh, uh, between church and state. Now, listen, I, let me give you a little history lesson. Y'all want to hang on for just a second? Let me give you a little history lesson. Uh, I, you've heard that, right? In fact, in our culture, everybody believes, oh, church and state separation. Let me tell you about church and state separation. That's argued today that it's not in the, uh, that it is in the Constitution. Dear friend, it is not in the Constitution. 
It is a complete fabrication and a complete misrepresentation of the Jeffersonian idea. Jefferson spoke of this wall that, is a separ- that separates uh, uh, the church from the government when he wrote a letter to uh, a Baptist church in Danbury, Connecticut, and they had written Jefferson because they were concerned that the government would do what the government had done in England, and that is impose restrictions on the church, and they were worried about that. And so they wrote him to say, please protect our freedoms. And he says, you don't have to worry about it. There's a wall we've established between government's ability to restrict you and your ability to practice freely your faith. And by the way, it's in the First Amendment to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. And they were, they, were, they were relieved to know that that's what it's about. Jefferson never wrote that with the intention of saying the church can have no influence on government. It was just the opposite. So, but it has been perverted today. It's been hijacked by leftists who have wanted to create an idea so that evangelicals and Christians cannot voice their opinions in the culture or in opposition to the laws. So that's just a quick, I could talk about that the whole time, but just, for, just so you will know, that's the real truth about separation of church and state. It was designed to give you freedom, not allow the government to restrict your freedoms, which are happening all over America, even right now. And have you noticed how more aggressive it's gotten with the churches? And by the way, if this scares you, you just wait and see what happens if those who believe, uh, who deny Scripture, uh, um, care nothing for the Word of God. You wait and see what happens if they control the destiny of a nation. <clears throat> I would also say this, you know, to those who, my detractors who might say, Pastor, you, again, don't you think you shouldn't, uh, look, I, I'm not telling you who to vote for. I, I can't do that. Technically, Though I've noticed left, leftist and liberal pastors can do it and get away with it. But nonetheless, I would remind you that the pulpit in America has historically been strong in speaking from the pulpit and speaking out both against beliefs and behaviors that are contrary to biblical values. The pulpit historically has been a place that spoke out against out against those things expressed in the culture and even by candidates and politicians. Only in recent decades have pastors and Christians bowed down to the politically correct idea that they have to remain silent because of their faith and not allow it to speak out in politics. But it hasn't always been that way. Historically, in the area, uh, era of the American colonies, pastors boldly spoke out about the social issues of the day, and they called out candidates by name, by the way, uh, for their positions. Beginning in the colonial period and going forward into the modern era, pastors would preach every year what they called election sermons. Now, if you don't believe it, If you think I'm stretching this, because nobody's going to tell you this out there, go on Amazon and order a copy of a book entitled Political Sermons of the American Founding Era, 1730 to 1805. 
published sermons by pastors who preached on the social and political issues of the day. Why did they do it? They did it so that their people could, be, could make biblically informed decisions regarding the issues of the day and the candidates' positions and how their positions either aligned or did not align with Scripture. The truth is, God has been at the center of our national freedom and politics from the very beginning. They have been intertwined from the time we became a nation. Go read the Constitution, which, by the way, many people who argue against the Constitution or, or, or stretch the Constitution had never actually read it. Or the Declaration of Independence. Congress actually, listen to this, instructed churches to read the Declaration of Independence from their church steps so that they could inform their communities and their communities could hear it. And by the way, I'm glad to say it was pastors who led the charge in the American Revolution to break free from Great Britain. Again, to break free because of the tyranny that they had experienced and the oppression of the government and especially the tyranny against the church. Pastors led the charge. Did you know that? Men like uh, uh, Peter Mullenberg and Jonas Clark and William Emerson, uh, Emerson. Jonas Clark, for example, is the man, pastor, who formed the Minutemen militia in Lexington. Y'all know the Battle of Lexington, the shot that was heard around the world? He formed the Minutemen militia this pastor did with 70 men from his congregation who fought at Lexington and by the way defeated 700 British in the first battle of the Revolutionary Army. It was a pastor. When the British moved on from there to Concord they were met by another pastor, the pastor of the church in Concord named William Emerson, the, the grandfather of Ralph Waldo Emerson by the way. And he enlisted 300 members out of his congregation to fight the British. And then Peter Mullenberg uh, uh, stepped up in a rather dramatic fashion and told his congregation, I quote, this is a time of war. And then he removed his black clerical robes and revealed his Continental Army uniform. And 300 men followed him out the door of his parish and formed the 8th Virginia Brigade. It was pastors who led it. So the next time somebody says pastors shouldn't talk about this, go just give them a little history lesson about that. Now, you say, so why do you tell us all of this? I tell you all of this to say what is happening in our, the world around you, listen, is directly related to an unseen war for the souls of a nation and for people. It's going on beyond your sight. The fact is we are at war, and we had better understand that if we are going to have a victorious life in the spirit conquest. As I said, I believe the closer we get to the end of the age and the return of Christ, the greater the spiritual battle is going to rage because Satan knows that he has limited time. Revelation 12, 12, as I said, it says, and I quote, the devil knows he only has a short time left. He knows that. But until Jesus comes, life in the Spirit means we must stand and fight the right fight. So let me give you some things here. I don't know if I'll finish them today, okay? But if I don't, I'll finish them next week. Y'all okay with that? Especially when y'all look at the outline, right? Let me give you some things here. First of all, if you're going to fight the right fight in the Spirit of God, you must be anchored in God. Verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. 
Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. The Greek word, we've already looked at this in previous messages in this series, the Greek word that uh, is used back in John for the Spirit is uh, the word paraclete. Paraclete means a helper, one who comes alongside to, to uh, help and to assist. It comes, uh, we're told, out of uh, an image of the Greek soldier. And what a Greek soldier had when he went into battle is he had a paraclete. He had another Greek soldier with him. You, we use this term today, it's popular, I got your back. That's literally the idea, I got your back. So you didn't go out to battle on your own, you went out with another, and that was a paraclete. He was alongside of you to help you in the battle. Now listen to me, God has not designed you to fight in your own strength. And he doesn't even expect that. In fact, trying to fight spiritual battles with physical strength is a prescription for defeat and for discouragement and for ruin. D.L. Moody said this, he said, My friends, you are no match for Satan, and when he wants to fight, uh, to fight you, just run to your elder brother. He's more than a match for all the devils in hell. So that's what Paul tells us. Be strong in the strength of God's might. You don't have the might to fight apart from life in the Spirit, His power operating in you. So let me tell you, though, uh, let me give you three reasons why you cannot win spiritual battles in your own strength, why you must, why, why you must get, uh, derive your strength from Him. Why, why is that? Number one, you can't win spiritual battles on your own strength because the devil is more deceptive than you know. You may think you've got him figured out, but he's far more deceptive and cunning. In fact, verse 11 tells us that, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, here it is, circle this in your Bibles, schemes of the devil. You know what that means, that word scheme, uh, schemes means? It means deceit, it means craftiness, trickery, methods, strategies, all that the devil uses to wage war against the believer, and I would say against cultures and communities. He is very, very deceptive more deceptive than you know. Here's another reason that you can't win spiritual battles in your own strength, and that's because on your most spiritual day, now I know you wouldn't tell anybody I'm having a really spiritual day. I feel really close to God today. You, you wouldn't say that, but I want to tell you, on your most spiritual day, you're not as strong as you think you are. On your best day for God, you're not nearly as strong as you may think you are. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. On your most spiritual day, you're not as strong as you think. Number three, you're no match for the devil because the devil is always looking for an opportunity to destroy you. He's always looking for an opportunity to destroy you. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, he said, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I had a dream last night. I mean this. And um, I was walking out of a forest on a path. I was walking through a path. It was dark. I was walking on, on a path out, out, out uh, into a field. There was a big field in front of me, but it was dark. The sky was dark. I had a flashlight with me. I could look over aside from the path, and down in, the, in a, a little recessed area off of the path, I could see the eyes of wolves. But they sat there. They didn't do anything. I walked on through. I was alert, and I can remember in the dream that I was nervous that those wolves were there. And I walked on. As I walked on on the path, I began to come out of the woods. And when I did, 
As I walked on, there were lights off in the distance. And as I, as I came emerging out of that thick uh, uh, forest area where the wolves were, I, I began to, the path became clear into the field, still dark. But then suddenly I felt, I, I felt something uh, nudge me. And I looked around, and it was three lions. And they, they weren't attacking, but they were kind of walking with me. And, and they would come up, the further I got, the, the more familiar they became with me. And they would, uh, they would rush, brush up against my leg. And, and then they start uh, 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 nuzzling up against my hand. And the more, the further I got, the more familiar they became. Then they started trying to put my hand in their mouth. And on and on uh, it went. They became more and more aggressive. And thank God he woke me up before they ate me. But when I woke up, God immediately took me to this verse. Be on guard. Your adversary, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And as I thought and contemplated over that, I said, you know, God, that's a perfect picture. The devil doesn't first just pounce on you. What he does is he gets you to think you can manage and you can, you can become almost like a pet. They started out, and they were almost like pets. Oh, that's nice. Uh, lines. I, I, I've got these lines. You've all seen the stories. I saw a documentary on these magicians who one of them was mauled by one of his, his tigers, I think it was. He, got, he just thought they were so, such good buddies. And one day, the tiger pounced. I want to tell you, that's what the devil will do to you. He will try to say, we can walk together. Let's just walk together. See, we're, we're with you. Uh, you were afraid of, you don't have to be afraid of us. And that's exactly, that's exactly what we're to be warned of. The devil is always looking for an opportunity to destroy you. Never drop your guard. But the good news is that God has provided a means to live victoriously. That's why we have this passage. And that leads me to the second thing I want to share with you. And that is you must be armored to stand. You must be armored to stand. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. The fact that Paul uses the military armor as an illustration of spiritual warfare makes perfect sense. Did you, you know why? Look down at verse 30. Because, I'm sorry, you can't find verse 30. Verse 20. For which I am an ambassador, look at this, in chains that I may declare it boldly as ought to be. You know why he uses this, this analogy of, uh, of a soldier and the armor? It's because Paul himself was chained. When he was writing those words, he was chained to a Roman soldier. So it makes perfect sense. You know, from the 1980s to the mid, at least 2000s, maybe it still continues, Marine recruits were each issued a service bag filled with clothing, they were given a rifle, they were given a cartridge belt, a bayonet, heavy steel uh, helmet. And those just arriving on the base uh, also were given some basic things to help them, basic hygiene uh, needs, the bu uh, so-called bucket issue. But among the items of clothing were what uh, were to become known as a BDU. Anybody in here know what the BDU is? You're probably a Marine if you know that. The BDU was battle dress uniform. 
I, was, I stopped in uh, Bojangles to get a biscuit the other morning, and uh, the man who waited on me had a mask on, and it had United States Marine Corps. I don't know. It was a lucky guess on my part. I said, did you serve in the Marines? <laughs> and he said, I sure did. 1994, I enlisted. I said, did they give you a BDU? He said, you better believe it. He knew immediately. BDU, battle, dress, uniform. It was an, this acronym referring to combat clothing worn by American soldiers into battle. A Marine would have various different uniforms for uh, different kinds of occasion, but BDUs were issued to give the Marine some advantage in combat. Well, in the ancient world, battle dress included armor, which gave a measure of protection from injury during whatever battle is. And that's what Paul is saying. He's talking about the spiritual BDU that God has given us, the, the God's battle dress uniform that he gives to the believer. And all pieces of the armor have purposes. Some are to, uh, protective or defensive, and there are some that are offensive. But all the armor is necessary in the warfare for survival. The battle armor co co uh, covered from head to toe, it was designed, by the way, for hand-to-hand -hand combat. It was designed so they could be agile and they could fight hand-to-hand. -hand. And so when Paul says, put on the whole armor, put on the whole armor of God, he teaches us at least three things that are vital regarding God's armor for life in the Spirit. Number one, it is that the armor is available. That's good news. God has, has designed it to fit you. You remember in the Old Testament when David was going to go out and fight Goliath and Saul, who probably should have been, and other warriors, David's a shepherd boy, he said, I'll go out and face this Philistine. Who is he to taunt the armies of the living God? And Saul says, well, if you're going to go, wear my armor. Y'all remember that? And David put the armor, if you can imagine this teenage boy with King Saul, who was a big man, and he put this armor on for him, and it swamped him. And not only that, it probably weighed itself 100 plus pounds. And David has this armor on, this kid really has this armor on, fit for a king, but not fit for a shepherd boy. And he puts it, and finally David says, I cannot go in these things. In other words, I, this, this armor, this is going to get me killed. He said, I can't go out and fight in this armor. And you know the story. You know what happened from there. He took the armor off. He took his slingshot. He went out and he slayed the, the, the giant. And that's because God was on his side. Now listen, God is on your side in this battle. And he has an armor. And it's, it's not somebody else's armor. But the pieces are the same. But they are designed for you. Amen. And when you walk in the Spirit, you walk in the armor of God. I'm not going to go into each piece today. Uh, I'd recommend you study that or go back and pull up the archives somewhere. I did a whole series on that uh, some years ago. But the armor's available. And then secondly, I would tell you, we have to put it on. Did you notice he tells them to put it on? That's an imperative, by the way. It's a command. Take the armor that God has designed and then put it on. You have the responsibility to wear the armor. He'll not force you to walk in the power of the Spirit. He'll not force you to wear the, the, the armor of the Spirit of God. And then third, listen, a partial armor is not sufficient. Every piece of the armor is important. And to neglect any part of the armor makes us vulnerable to the flaming darts of Satan. 
So we must put it all on. That's why he says, and it's emphatic, put on the whole armor uh, of God. You know the mythological story of, of um, Achilles, don't you? Remember, Achilles was a great, he was a mighty warrior. His mom wanted him to, to be able to fight in the battles and these mythological battles and never die. And so he was tipped, he was dipped in, in the water, you know, that would be like a protective coating on him. The only place that he wasn't dipped or immersed in this water was his ankle because that's what was held on to so they could immer, uh, uh, immerse him in the water. Pulled him out. Well, you know how he died, don't you? He took an arrow in the ankle, in the Achilles, and that killed him. The only place where he was not protected, I want to tell you, your adversary, the devil, knows where you're vulnerable. And that's why, that's why we're told to put the whole armor of God on. But understand that God has provided his armor because a Christian without his armor is an easy target for the enemy. All right, number three. Y'all ready? Number three, you must be aware of the battlefield. Verse 12, <clears throat> don't miss this. You've got to understand the, the battlefield you're fighting on. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, he says, as I've talked about already, but against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, this unseen realm of uh, warriors who uh, are out there, uh, uh, a nefarious army of Satan, that's what we're battling against. Have you ever wondered why there's so much defeat among Christians? I believe that it is because they neither understand or recognize the battlefield and the enemy's tactics. You see, you must learn to see that the real war is the unseen war. The things that are going on in our culture, the decline of faith, the moral degradation, the social unrest, among other things, is so much more than just what meets the eye. The personal struggles that we face are often not recognized for what they are. The devil's assault... The battlefield that we're on is really a spiritual battlefield. Paul is trying to teach us that we will never solve, listen, flesh and blood battles with flesh and blood methods. Flesh and blood responses are the byproducts of, uh, of, of trying to do for God what only God can do. And, and the enemy is dark and nefarious. And his plot and strategy is spun out of hell, and then it manifests in, in fallen humanity. We try to resolve everything, though, by human ingenuity, don't we? We'll just figure this out. The problem is, without God, we're broken people. We're broken people. And the rulers and the principalities and spiritual forces of evil, they know this. And so they... They capitalize on our brokenness and our, our, our pride and our self-dependence, and they stir up rebellion and division in us. If you don't recognize and understand the battlefield, you're going to end up feeling awfully alone in the spiritual war that is being fought. You're going to feel like you're behind enemy lines. The Battle of Antietam in 1862 lasts for 12 hours, and it ranks as the bloodiest day in the American Civil War. 10,000 Confederate soldiers died and even more on the Union side. And one historian put it this way, he said, at last the sun went down and the battle ended. Smoke was heavy in the air, the twilight quivering with the anguished cries of thousands of wounded men. It's considered historically a military draw. 
But the mediocre Union General George McClellan, uh, McClellan was able to fight the brilliant Robert E. Lee. That's not my opinion because I'm a Southerner. That is histor- history. And, uh, but he fought Lee to a draw. In fact, he caused Lee to have to, to retire his army across the Potomac. How was it possible? Strategists have studied it and, 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 and said, how could, how could McClellan do that? How could he pull that off? He was not known. Lincoln did not care for him as a general. He just was not a very effective general. So how did he do this in this battle? Do you know what, how? We know now, well after the battle, that two Union soldiers happened upon a copy of Robert E. Lee's battle plan and turned it over to McClellan. And because he had Lee's battle plan, he was able to logically mount a defense against the battle plan and a strategy that he employed. Now listen to me. I tell you that to say we have a battle plan. We know the enemy's strategy. God has handed it over to us. He tells us right here what the strategy is. He gives us a battle plan so we will know how to fight the right fight with his might and the spirit of God God has given us armor and he's told us about the enemy's tactics there's a fourth thing I want you to see this morning and that is you must accept your responsibility you're going to fight the right fight. Look at this, verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. He says, stand. You've done everything you need to do. God's given you everything you need to, uh, to, to have to stand in the battle against the enemy. And so Paul says, given that, stand. And it, this has both corporate and personal meaning. Standing in the armor of God benefits the entire army of God. One of the most famous Roman formations was the formation called testudo. It is a Latin word meaning turtle. And uh, you can look it up. It's one of the most famous of all the Roman army formations. And here's what it was. They would take the soldiers, they would take them by, by groups, and they would line up with their shields. They had these massive shields, and they could get behind them. They could hide completely behind their shields, and they would form a wall with those shields. And then, then they would form more walls down the sides in their group. And then the back row, guess what they would do? They would take their shields and lay them over the top. And so they called it the turtle because it formed an impenetrable shell for the, uh, the arrows when the enemy would launch their arrows. And then while they reloaded, then the, the soldiers could advance. And then they'd uh, hunker back down uh, in, in that uh, formation. Now, here's why I tell you that. When each member of God's family puts on the armor of God and connects their army, uh, their armor to the armor of the person next to them and next to them, we become an impenetrable force. It's one of the reasons we need the family of God. It's one of the reasons that we need the gathering of God's people is we form an army when we come to that's corporate. That, that the implications are that, that you just don't protect yourself when you wear the armor of God. You are involved in protecting others in the army of God. 
if more of God's people put on the armor and stood for God, the darkness would recede. The light would emerge. Victory would occur. And each of us would be renewed in the power of God. That's why Jesus said to us in Matthew 5, you you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on, on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus is talking about the need for us to do exactly what Paul is saying, stand up for God. There's the personal application of it as well, not just the corporate. The personal application is that when you wear it, it enables you to face the harshest attacks of the enemy. It doesn't say that the enemy will see the armor and say, no hope there. But what it does teach us is that we are able to face the schemes, the fiery darts or the fiery arrows of the devil. You'll you'll not be able to sustain personal spiritual victories without the armor. Let me just say it that way. But in the armor of God, you can fight the right fights. And in the armor of God, you can fend off the flaming arrows of spiritual war. And it's important for you to know that you are responsible to stand. You don't get an exemption from this war. Wouldn't that be nice if you could say, ah, I'm going to opt out of this season. I'm going to opt out of this war. I'm, I'm going to get a, And by the way, you can't go AWOL. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't hide. You're part of it whether you want to be or not. So you cannot afford, uh, afford to be ignorant or to be neutral. If you try to stay in the middle, you're going to get caught in the crossfire. And that's the worst place and most dangerous place you could be. God did, God, by the way, God didn't equip, uh, equip you with armor so you could be mo- a model that is admired. In the, uh, at the outset of the American Revolution, um, before any of the serious battles had really engaged, I mean, you'd had Lexington and Concord, and there was a war on, but pe- people, and men in particular, were signing up they, to, to go into battle. And, um, and, and the, every community would have a little parade, you know, their, their soldiers that were going out. And they all got uniforms at that stage. They all got uniforms representing the Continental Army. And, and uh, Thomas Paine, one of the great uh, journalists of that day, writing in the Pennsylvania Journal, wrote these words. He says, this is no time for the sunshine soldier and the summertime patriot. You know what he was talking about? They're the people. They, they got their armor. They got their uniform. They were marching in the parades, and people were applauding them and grateful for them, and rightfully so. But what he was saying is a whole bunch of people just wanted a uniform. They didn't really want to fight. They were like Ernest T. Bass. He just wanted a uniform. Give me a uniform. And that's what a lot of people, I'm afraid, in the Christian world do. Say, I, I want the uniform, but I don't want the engagement. The fact is, God didn't equip you with armor so you could be a model that is admired. He equipped you with an armor so you could be a warrior on the spiritual battlefield because you are on it whether you want to be or not. So put on the whole armor. You're expected to step up. And fight the good fight of faith. It is an expectation. Here's the last thing. I didn't think I'd do it, but we're going to do it. You must be anointed by the Spirit. Verse 18. 
Do you notice how he brings this to a close? He says, you have to be anointed by the Spirit. And notice how he says it. Watch this. Praying at all time in the Spirit. All the time in the Spirit. Many of you have heard this phrase, perhaps, uh, uh, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. You heard that phrase before, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. It is most commonly attributed to Thomas Jefferson, but the fact is it really wasn't Jefferson who is the source of that. It was a man named John Pilpot Curran, an Irishman in 1790, but that's beside the point. The statement is powerful eternal vigilance. You can never drop your guard. That's the price of liberty. Regardless of who it came from, you know what prayer is about? It is about constant spiritual vigilance that gives us eternal liberty and victory on the battlefield with Satan. And he say pray at all times. Constant prayer. How do we fight back? Well, we wear the armor. We have the Word of God. But he tells us, and I believe this is why he ends with this. He says we fight back in prayer. The battle is won in prayer. How do we pray in the Spirit? Well, if you're praying at all times, listen to this. If you're praying at all times in the Spirit, you are full of the Spirit. You can't pray at all times in the Spirit if you're not full of the Spirit. How do you pray in the Spirit? Get full of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Surrender, surrender, surrender to the control of the Spirit of God. Are you familiar with the story of Daniel in Daniel chapter 10? It's about spiritual warfare. We don't know precisely what Daniel was praying about, but we know he was on his knees praying. And he was praying, and, he was lift, and evidently he had been praying for a long time. I'm not just talking about a day. He'd been praying for a lengthy period of time. And he's praying, and he's praying, and he's praying, and obviously there's no answer. And in verse 10 and following, it says, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. It's Gabriel, the messenger. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling, and then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. Listen to this. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. And then he adds, the messenger of God adds, but the prince of the kingdom, remember princes and principalities, and but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, all scholars agreed that that was Satan himself. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes of the kingdom of God, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. Did you get that? what's going on there? Daniel is down on his knees praying, and he said, From the first day that you prayed, you were heard. And, and the answer was dispatched. This is the cosmic eternal war. But the prince of Persia withstood me, he says. There was this spiritual war going on in the heavenlies. I'm trying to deliver the message of God, and the enemy withstood me. And then he said, but Michael, the warrior, 
angel. He came. And now I'm here with the answer. Do you understand what that teaches us? It teaches us that the battle is fought on our knees. Too many Christians are asleep. There's an invasion from hell that has been set loose on this earth. Christians have to wake up. We need to stop listening to lullabies and start listening to Reveille, a call to arms. Let me close this way. So this is spiritual war. You're in spiritual war. Everything around you is somehow impacted by spiritual war. Your physical life, community life, national life, there's spiritual war going on. And that war is designed to undermine anything that has any kind of connection to the kingdom of God or to right and that which is eternal. So because this spiritual war is so important, number one, you have to choose sides carefully. Any, listen, any side but Jesus' side is the losing side. Eventually, Jesus will triumph. He'll say, I've had enough of Satan. He will return, and he will handle him. The Bible's very clear about it. So any side but Jesus' side is a losing uh, side, so choose your sides carefully. Number two, make sure you are wearing the armor of God. This armor is only available to followers of Christ. If you don't know Christ, if you're just religious or you're just a church member, but you've never trusted Christ, you do not have this BDU, this battle dress uniform. But you can, and I'll tell you how in just a moment. And then three, surrender to the control of God's Holy Spirit. This whole series is about life in the Spirit. And as simple as I can say it, that means you must surrender to his control. You must be filled with the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are our hero in heaven. You are our hero. You are the mighty warrior who went to hell and the grave and conquered it. And because you did, we can walk in armor that protects us from the roaring lion that roams about, the devil himself and his minions who seek to undermine and destroy you. And Father, I pray right now for any that are listening to my voice that do not know you, that they would understand the seriousness of the moment, the seriousness of the hour, and the seriousness of eternity. And God, would you move in their hearts and cause them to recognize their need for you so that they can be, be indwelt by the Spirit and clothed in the armor of God. And with heads bowed and eyes closed today, if that's you, you can call out to Him. You can say, Lord Jesus, I don't want to be religious. I want to be related. And right now, I invite you to come into my life Forgive me of my sins. I know I need you. I know you died for me and you rose from the grave. And right now today, I invite you to become my Savior. I accept and receive what you did for me on the cross and the life that you gave me because of the resurrection. I receive you as my Savior. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Others watching, listening in this room, 
Maybe you need to say, Father, forgive me for not wearing the armor. Forgive me, God, for not taking advantage. And forgiving, forgive me, God, for not standing. Because you've provided everything I need to stand. Father, help me with sobriety in my, of mind to say, God, I'm reporting for duty in the kingdom army. Father, would you hear us today? Would you move in our hearts and across our land? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you look at me before we're gone this morning? Those of you who are joining us by live stream and television, maybe you prayed that prayer to trust Christ as your Savior today. I'm so glad. So many have uh, in recent months. In fact, uh, statistics recently showed us that we've added to our family, listen to this, Ridgecrest, almost 100 people in just the last few months that have become a part of the Ridgecrest family just watching us online, and we welcome you. We look forward to the day, by the way, when we'll all gather in this place together. But between now and then, if you made a decision or, uh, to trust Christ, would you, would you text the word pastor to us at that number, I bet many of you can say it by now. 334-384-8080. It'll be on your computer screen, television screen. You let us know about your decision to trust Christ. We'll take it from there. Maybe either inside this building, you can do the same thing. You can text with your phone or tablet or whatever it is, or you can te- use the tear-off panel if you're in this live audience, and you can take that and you can drop it in the baskets on the way out. Maybe you want to just join the church or maybe you need to be baptized like Ann was. So proud of Ann. Maybe you need to say, I need to get my baptism right. Whatever it may be, you just check it on that or our live stream. You take that word, baptize, and you text it to that same number that's on your screen. We'll take it from there. Or maybe you say, I want to join. How do I join? Become a member of Ridgecrest. That word, join. And so you share that with us, and we'll handle it from there. I hope you've been encouraged that you are a a soldier in the army of God, and he has provided everything you need to fight the battles. I know out there in our world sometimes, especially this year, so much to cause us to wobble. Don't wobble. Your king has never lost a battle. He's never lost a one. And he's not going to start now. Make sure you're part of his army, clothed in his armor so that you can stand. I love you. God bless you. James, come and wrap us up here.